21, please. John 21. And uh, uh, this passage of scripture where uh, the disciples are together. This is after the resurrection of Jesus. As we were going to see, they hadn't seen him for a while. And he arrives at a beach and cooks them breakfast. Uh, A very beautiful story. John 21. Uh, Fairly lengthy reading, but again, uh, let's make time for God's word to be read. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Uh, One of the reasons that um, I have been so glad to be here is because, to be honest, I'm glad to be anywhere. I am um, one of those sad men who is continuously lost wherever he goes. Kay and I have a great marriage. We've been married for 41 years. But we, when driving together, we occasionally experience navigational tension. <laughs> Does anybody else experience this at all? The whole place is full of people with this. I'd invite you to come forward for prayer, but you'd probably get lost on the way, wouldn't you? So that, that wouldn't work. Um, we had a five-minute walk last night from the place where we were staying, lovely place there, to Philip and Hermie's house. A five-minute walk, and we managed to get lost um, during that journey. It's just a gift. And um, 
Sometimes Kay and I, you know, we've got maps on our phones. You know, you know what I'm talking about. And um, I've got this rather irritated British lady on my phone who's rather crisp and, and, and curt and says, turn around when possible. And, and Kay's got this Australian surfer dude, um, a blonde guy with a six-pack, and uh, used to be in a boy band. And sometimes... Sometimes we have the phones going together. One time I was actually lost in a bathroom at a church, which <laughs> was pretty amazing. Um, I was speaking at a leadership conference in Canada, and I was a bit nervous, and uh, there were about a 1,000 leaders there, and I thought, I'll just pop into the loo before getting up to preach. By the way, I think it's okay to say that we Christian leaders do have to use the loo. Um, <laughs> Just want to make that clear. Uh, I was at one church. I went in the loo and a bloke came in and recognized me. And he said, hello, Jeff. He said, rather surprised to see you in here. <laughs> I thought, what do you think we do? Pray about it? You know, what is, what is that? Anyway, I'm in this loo in Toronto. And, and in this church, they had loudspeakers. They had speakers in the loo. So you could hear the service while using the facilities, very helpful Christian multitasking. So I'm in the loo washing my hands, always a good idea, and uh, I suddenly hear them announcing me. They're saying, Je- Jeff Lucas is going to come and speak to us now. And I thought, he's not. <laughs> he's in the loo. So I, I panicked a bit, and I went to push the door to get out, and the, the door would not open, and I pushed the door hard, it wouldn't open. I put my shoulder to it, it wouldn't open. I kicked the door, it wouldn't open. It was a charismatic conference, so I rebuked the door, and it wouldn't open. And, um, and then I realized that I'd, been, uh, I'd got the wrong door, and I was trying to break into the supplies cupboard. <laughs> Five minutes later, I went up onto the platform to speak on the subject, what God is doing around the earth. I thought, how do I know I can't even get out of the loo? It's really kind of crazy. Feeling lost, feeling disorientated, feeling bewildered. That's what this story is about. It's about a bunch of guys who felt really lost and bewildered. They had been, they'd been shattered and thrilled by the emotional, theological tsunami that was the resurrection. And Jesus had explained what was going to happen, but it was all still like absolutely mind-blowing. And, and when you pull together some of the statements from the New Testament about how the disciples were after the resurrection, you can see, ladies and gentlemen, this mingling of joy and confusion and faith and fear. Let me give you some quotes from the New Testament. They were startled. They were frightened. They, they thought they'd seen a ghost. They were troubled, doubting. They needed to have their minds open to understand. They were afraid, yet filled with joy. They worshipped, but some doubted. Trembling, bewildered and afraid. They didn't believe. They stubbornly refused to believe. They gathered fearfully behind locked doors. They were overjoyed. You see, there's this mingling of all of this going on. It wasn't like they said, Jesus is alive. Hooray, let's go change the world, starting now. They were bewildered. And I don't think they expected to meet Jesus that morning because they hadn't seen him for a while. If I get my resurrection chronology correct, um, here's how it went. Peter had a private meeting with Jesus on Easter Day. All we know about that meeting is that it was one-on-one, no details were shared. 
And then there was an appearance that Jesus made to all of his disciples except Thomas. Can you imagine how Thomas felt? That is not one to miss, is it? I don't know if he was having coffee with someone or whatever, but he missed that meeting. And then graciously, some days later, uh, Jesus appears again to the disciples, and this time Thomas is present. But if I get this correct, it's been at least a few days since they've seen him. Where has he gone? And not only that, the last place they saw him was Jerusalem, and now they're in Galilee. Now, they've been told to go to Galilee, but it's miles from where they last saw him. And not only that, these are good Jewish boys. And as Jews, they would have had a theological expectation of a Messiah figure who would focus his victorious um, efforts, if you will, in the city of Jerusalem. Matthew 20, when um, Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem, that's when Salome said, how about a throne for my boys? Because she had this theological grid, Messiah's going to go to Jerusalem, kick out the Romans, establish earthly thrones. Now they're in Galilee. It's an unusual time because they would go fishing at night in Galilee and then sell the catch in the morning. So it's the early hours of the morning. Uh, John in his gospel uses uh, light and darkness not only to give us the chronology of the event but also the mood of the event. And so uh, uh, Judas went out by night and Nicodemus came by night and and they're tired and they're, they're weary. And then here's the other thing about this appearance. It's so ordinary. It's so ordinary. Jesus appears and they don't realize it's him. Let me just tell you. If I'd been given responsibility for the choreography of the resurrection appearances, there would have been no doubt. I'd have had 64,000 angels with fluorescent yellow Doc Martins tap dancing on the beach. I'd have had the red arrows swooping overhead with red, yellow and blue smoke with He is Risen written in the sky. I would have had the London Philharmonic Orchestra playing the Hallelujah Chorus prophetically because it hadn't been written at that point. (laughs) I would have had, I'd have had flashy, fluorescent, Jesus is alive. (coughs) But he's just there, cooking breakfast. And I mean, he must have gone fishing or shopping that morning. If you want to believe that Jesus just stood by the, the sea there and just said, tilapia, come forth, you can believe that, but... The beauty of this is it's also ordinary. And he appears when they're perhaps asking this question that sometimes we ask and we've sung about it this morning. Perhaps the question they're asking is, where has Jesus gone? We know he's promised to be with us. Sometimes our circumstances and our emotions... We feel like he's gone and Sally and the team just led us and we, we just sang a few minutes ago. Even when it feels like we're separated, you're holding on to me. There are times when we feel like that. Where did you go? Where are you now? We, we sang about the silence. Why, why the silence? The ancients had a term for this. They called it Deus Absconditus, the God who absconds. And there can be that feeling. So what does Jesus do during this breakfast? And my brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, what might he do here 
among us today as we look at this ancient story. The first thing is, I believe that Jesus helped them re-establish their priorities. Faith or fish. Verse 5, he called out to them, friends, haven't you got any fish? Have you ever noticed that with this story, there's a lot of talk about fish? Um, Peter says, I'm going fishing. We're told they caught nothing. Uh, Jesus arrives and asks for a fish update. He then gives fishing direction. There is then a time of fish counting. We are then given the details of the catch. And then it's time for breakfast. And guess what's on the menu? That would be fish. And then Jesus says to Peter, do you love me more than these? Now just come with me a little on this. The standard approach to that question, do you love me more than these, is that Jesus was saying to Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? But I need you to know that there are some commentators today who are asking the question, you may disagree, but it's valuable to consider the question, that it's possible that Jesus was saying to Peter, do you love me more than you love fish? Think about it. Fishing represented Peter's basis of support, his everyday existence. And fishing meant security and predictability. And fishermen, Peter, wouldn't have to worry about the state of the church or the purity of doctrine. Uh, And there wouldn't be any... uh, There wouldn't be any martyrdom on the horizon for Peter, the fisherman. Fishing represents the allure of the ordinary, getting up, going to work. Nothing on TV for another couple of thousand years, so another early night, fishing. I'm trying to be honest this weekend, and I want you to know that sometimes I could be tempted by that myself. Sometimes, sometimes I... I don't want to live for a purpose. Sometimes I'd like to just live. Sometimes I don't want a purpose-driven life. I just want a life. And I don't want to have to worry about the world. It's a temptation. I just want to get on with existing. But I want to say this. For me and for you, that's never going to work. It's never going to work. Something interesting happens. Because someone is counting fish on the beach. Imagine that. Jesus is right there. And someone over in the corner is going, 47, 48, 153. Now the commentators have gone mad on that, speculating about what 153 fish means. Uh, One commentator says the number of tribes and races in the world at that time. That doesn't work for me. Another one says the number of different kinds of fish in the Sea of Galilee. They've got one of each kind. What? That would be a grilling nightmare, wouldn't it? How'd you do this one? Oh, I don't know. And then there's another commentator who says, a tri- 153, a triangular number that would have impressed ancient Pythagorean philosophers. As if Jesus said, I know what I'll do, I'll give them 153 fish, because that will impress ancient Pythagorean philosophers. I believe that I can reveal to you right here at Chipping Camden Baptist Church, Sunday morning, 11.17, the reason why 153 fish are recorded. Some of you are poised with your pen. Brace yourself for the revelation. The reason 153 fish are recorded is this. 
That's how many they caught. But think about this. Is it possible that the writer wrote about a bumper catch of fish? The nets were breaking. There's a reasoning perhaps behind that. Because now Jesus is inviting Peter to, and his friends to embark on this, this mission that's going to cost them everything. And they are walking away from a bumper catch of fish. They're walking away from security. Would you notice, please, ladies and gentlemen, that the metaphor of uh, fisher of men is now switched here in this story to a shepherd of sheep. Jesus is nudging the guys away from the fishing. You see, here's the thing. If you are a follower of Jesus, just like me, survival will never work for you again. It's never going to work to to just go through life accumulating. I don't care if you get 153 fish. It still won't satisfy you if you're a follower of Jesus. Because I tell you what, you have been kissed by a vision of the kingdom of God. You are wonderfully messed up now. You'll never get over it. Well, you can try real hard. But I beg you not to because you've embraced the God of the universe. Don't settle into survival. And I want to say too, that if you are not a follower of Jesus, may I gently say to you again, thank you for being here today and honoring us with your presence. May I gently say to you, That there is more to life than going to work to get the money to buy the food to give you the strength to go to work to get the money to buy the food to give you the strength to go to work to get the money to to watch Strictly on Saturday night. (laughs) Steady on. (laughs) There's more. And what's more is not religion or stained glass double glazing. What's more is Jesus and a relationship with him. That relationship that made these guys sign up even for death. And our invitation to you, if you don't know him, is not to get a little dab of religion behind your ears for a Sunday morning, but invite Christ. Come to the breakfast. All is prepared. Priorities were established here. Secondly, there's a resolving of regrets here because they, they, uh, they sit down with Jesus at a fireside. Peter and John are in the boat. Ladies and gentlemen, have you ever noticed that in the New Testament, John always understands before Peter and Peter always takes action before John. It's just the way it works. So Peter and John are in the boat and typical John figures out who the stranger on the shore is. John says, it is the Lord, splash. (laughs) Where'd he go? Peter, he's gone. Puts his coat on before he jumps overboard, which is a bit weird, but we haven't got time to get into that. And then he goes splashing up onto the beach and there is a fire burning with hot coals. When's the last time in John's gospel you see a fire And by the way, the same Greek word is used in both passages. It's when Peter warms his hands by a fire. (coughs) What's Jesus doing? Is Jesus tormenting Peter with that great failure? I don't think so. 
I think that Jesus is locating himself in Peter's story and wanting to deal with his shame. You see, when we've really messed up, when we feel ashamed, our worship is silenced. Our capacity to say to Jesus, I love you, is taken from us because we shrink back. Peter is invited to sit down by a fire that reminds him of his failure and by the fire affirm love. Can I say something about God's forgiveness? God's forgiveness doesn't say to us, doesn't matter, not important, I'll overlook it. God's forgiveness says, yes, Sit down by the fire, face what you did, but also in that moment embrace once again the ability to say, I love you. The trouble is, I still meet lots of Christians who are shame addicts. They're addicted to shame. And when that happens, we are overwhelmed by it, we lose hope. Michelangelo came down from a back-breaking day on the scaffold painting the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel and he wrote in his journal, I am not a painter. I think he was wrong, don't you think? But we define ourselves by our worst moments. One of the joyous moments of my life, we live in Colorado and we don't have a refuse collection service. That means that every week I gather up all of the rubbish in plastic sacks and I have a joyous visit to the local rubbish dump and I get really irrationally excited about it I put the bags in the back of my, I've got a little truck and uh, I drive towards the rubbish dump, the excitement is building and then I go in there and it's smelly and worse than 50 teenagers and it's it's, uh, birds everywhere swooping down on the piles of rubbish And I pull up to the dumpster where I'm going to get rid of my trash. And I pull the bags out and we have a little hug goodbye. (laughs) And then I throw the trash into the dumpster. And I feel exhilarated. (laughs) Because I have dumped my trash. (coughs) If you live under a shroud of shame, There is a rubbish dump. There is a green hill far away. Outside a city wall. Where Jesus died to deal with all of our trash. The tragedy is, do we allow him to lift it from us? It's very possible, ladies and gentlemen, that some of us dragged our trash in with us this morning in invisible plastic bags. No one else can see them, but we know they're there. And the danger is that at the end of the service, we'll pick them up and drag them out of here again. Martin Luther said, most Christians have enough religion to feel guilty about their sins, but not enough to enjoy life in the spirit. When I was a brand new Christian, I was very guilty much of the time. I repented of things that weren't even sin. I went forward and repented one day of feeling happy. I thought that must have been bad because I felt happy. I said, oh God, I'm feeling really happy. I'm sorry. As if there was something wrong with feeling happy. And when I started going out with Kay, someone told me that the will of God for your life was probably what you didn't want to do. Anyone ever heard that? They'd say, don't say you don't want to be a missionary because if you say that, God's going to make you. 
So I applied that logic. So I thought, well, I can't, it can't be God's will that I marry Kay because I love her and I think she's really beautiful. So I thought, it must be God's will. I've got to find someone really ugly that I don't want to marry. <laughs> Some of you are looking at me right now and thinking, she believed that too, didn't she? <laughs> And someone said to me, if you feel guilty, it must be the Holy Spirit convicting you. That was some of the worst advice I ever heard. They said, always let your conscience be your guide. I look for that verse. Always let your conscience be your guide. Was it in Proverbs or or, or the Sermon on the Mount? Always let your conscience be your guide. I searched for it. I had this massive concordance. I kept looking for it. I finally found it. It's not in the Bible. It's Gemini Cricket to Pinocchio. <laughs> You see, your conscience is an invaluable gift, but as J.P. Phillips said, it is not an infallible gift. And some of us live with shame, and Jesus wants us to sit by the fire with him. I'm not done yet, so, because I'm praying a prayer, don't get too encouraged, but Holy Spirit, would you land that in us? Those of us who, we've heard this over and over again about shame, but we still carry it. Would you somehow, Holy Spirit, help us to allow the word of God to liberate us? The third thing that Jesus does here, I think there's a a call away from pettiness. I mean, think about this. Um, Jesus gives Peter a prophetic word. Now, I've had people prophesy over me. Are you like me? If that's going to happen, I like good ones. (laughs) You know, God's going to bless you, restore you, anoint you, give you a a full head of hair, something like that. I'll go for that. Here's one I don't want. I don't want this one. You're going to die for me. Peter was going to live on prophetic death row for the rest of his days. You'd have questions, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you have questions? Well... Am I going to be faithful, Lord? How long have I got? Will it hurt? I mean, I'm serious. And then John shows up. Jesus and Peter are walking the beach at this time. (laughs) Peter just had this prophetic word. And then Peter does what we do a lot. He says, what about him? Which my interpretation of that is, have you got a corker for him as well? (laughs) The disciple that Jesus loved. What does Jesus say? He says, what's that to you? You've got a fun... What's that to you? Which I think is a really nice way of saying, Peter, mind your own business. Don't you fret about what you don't have to fret about. You follow... Now, Jesus could have said, well, actually, Peter, yes, John will be exiled to Patmos and they will try to boil him alive in oil. But he didn't say any of that. He just said, what's that to you? Do you know, fellow Christians... What we often do, especially in church life, is we get preoccupied with things that don't really matter. And we get upset. I mean, you're sitting on chairs today, right? I've been to churches where they've they've had pews, and when it came time to remove the pews, it was like, you touch the pews, I break your face. (laughs) In fact, Philip was telling me about when he and Hermie first came here and there was a huddle of lovely praying ladies. 
I don't know, maybe you were one of them, and if you were, thank you. Who were willing to navigate the journey of change in order to see what's happening here today. And please let me tell you this. And I've no re- I'm driving out of town in a couple of hours. I've got no reason to say something nice to you for the sake of being nice to you. There's something really beautiful here. But I think there's something really beautiful here because in your history, there were people who probably had to adjust to some of the shifts and the changes. And bless your heart, you probably didn't even like them, did you? You didn't like those changes. But you were willing to pay the price for the mission. But often, that's we can be so picky. Um, I'm a resident alien in America. Uh, I'm a green card holder. I'm not a citizen. And a few weeks ago at our church, I put my resident alien card on the screen, displayed it on the screen, because I wanted to illustrate that we are all resident aliens in Christ, Philippians, etc. And uh, I got a card, just to let you know that our church is far from perfect, uh, I got a card um, saying this lady was really offended. So I called her. She said, I'm really upset with you, Jeff, about what you did on Sunday. You put your resident alien card up and you suggested that we Americans are not American citizens, but we're all resident aliens. So I said, I didn't say that at all. I didn't say that at all. I said, which service were you in? We had three on Sunday morning. I said, which service were you in? She said, I wasn't there. (laughs) She said, my husband was there. He came home and told me he was really upset. I'm really upset. She said, I'm leaving the church. I said, how long have you been coming? She said, I've never been. (laughs) I've never been. So I said, so you're leaving a church that you haven't been to because of something that I didn't say in a service you weren't in. (laughs) Welcome to the world of the pastor. (laughs) Sometimes we get upset about little things. Let me illustrate this just in one more way and then we'll move on to my final point. I went to a church one time. Um, They had a major crisis because they wanted to replace the waste paper bins in the, the waste paper bin in the ladies' bathroom. And the deacons met and discussed it. And they said, uh, look, the old bin has been there for quite a number of years now, and the sisters have become accustomed to that bin. And we don't want them to experience bin trauma, and so... <laughs> This is absolutely true. I'm not making it up. They said, what we'll do is we'll put the new larger bin next to the smaller bin for a few months. And then when they become bin acclimatized, then we will remove the small bin. They told me, and I'm like, this is Monty Python. This is, you can't be serious. And they actually did that. So anyway, I, I shared that one time at a conference that I won't name, but it happens in the springtime. (laughs) <laughs> when they bring the harvest in and <laughs> I shared that story and after I'd shared it I think it was there anyway this chap came down the centre aisle and he had this look on his face and I could, he was upset and he said I'm very upset with you and I said well, what's the problem he said, he said I'm from the church with the bit 
<laughs> and he said, he said, you laughed at us this morning. He said, I need you to know something. He said, that bin, my family donated that bin when my grandmother, my grandfather passed away. We donated that bin in his memory. So now I'm feeling like traumatized. But in my mind, I'm thinking, what kind of sicko family does that? (laughs) Oh, granddad's dead. Let's buy a bin for the toilet. What is that about? I mean, a memorial bin? I mean, we could have the Jeffrey Lucas Memorial Toilet Brush, couldn't we? Yes, every time we use it, we think of his hairstyle. And I'm apologizing and agonizing. And after about 15 minutes of agony, he just looked at me and went, I'm joking! (laughs) (laughs) But sometimes we're not joking. And we get preoccupied with what doesn't really matter. Jesus says to Peter, focus, focus. Again, I want to pause before I get to my last point. Have we been like niggly about something that's really not important? It's under your skin. And you, you, you drive away from church and you chunter. You know what chuntering is? It's you chunter, you, you, you're by yourself, but you talk as if there's somebody else in the car and you I've done it and I've been caught doing it and there's a truck driver looking at me like who's he talking to what you do is you pretend you're on a mobile phone with hands free chuntering don't get preoccupied with what doesn't matter well the last thing is this and that is Peter and his friends are invited to give Jesus their now they're now having received a prophetic news flash. Jesus says, you must follow me. John 21 is a rebuild of Luke 5. Three years earlier, Peter had received the call to be a fisher of men, of humans. Now Jesus rebuilds the scenery of that original calling, but it's all shifting. There's been an update. You're going to die for this. In other words, you still up for this, Peter? Around these parts, Peter had walked on water. Let me just ask this question. Anyone here ever walked on water? Anyone here ever tried to walk on water? Raise your hand. How many more? I tried it once. Karen and I were staying at a hotel swimming pool was deserted so I thought I'm going to give it a go so I I put my trunks on you know faith without works is dead but (laughs) and I stepped onto the water and of course I sank but I tell you what it it looks like a lot of fun given the option walking through water walking on water I know which I would choose walking on water around these parts Peter had walked on water and now to get to Jesus he has to walk through water. In other words, 
He's now in a different season. I want to be in the walking on water season. I don't want to be in the trudging through the waves and the swell almost carries you away season. But here Peter is invited with all that he knows about the future to once again affirm that he wants to follow Jesus. Here's my final point. Some of us in this room, we've been walking with Jesus for a lot of years now. Are we still up for this? With all that we now know, I'm looking into your eyes. I wish I knew your stories. I know one or two. Some of us with the prayers prayed that have been answered. Some of us with prayers prayed and we battled disappointment. With all that we've navigated, perhaps today is an opportunity to say to him again, I want to follow you all the way. All the way. To the very end. And they did. And it ended as Jesus said it would end. But the breakfast prepared them for the journey. I'd like to invite you to stand with me if you're able and willing, please. Would you stand? Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for that, that breakfast that was cooked all those years ago. Thank you for the restorative work. of their lives.
about the Christian life, we take a moment perhaps to whisper our pledges of allegiance. We're still up for this, Jesus. We're still up for this. For any who don't know you here through your today, may their hearts be quickened to open to you and begin a new life. I'd like you just to open your eyes, everybody, please. Just remain in that standing or seated position where you are. Before we worship the Lord again and then conclude our time, I'm mindful that the invitation to breakfast involved Jesus saying to his friends, Come and sit down. Come and sit down. And they sat down by the fire. At the end of our weekend together, I have a consciousness that some of us are are tired, and the journey's been heavy lately. It's been challenging, and you're probably thinking, "Okay, there's going to be a response now. So, so now what we're going to do?" Sometimes I get a bit weary of oughts and shoulds and musts and coulds. Oh no, not another thing. So if you're just a bit weary want to respond to this message in some way, here's what I'm going to invite you to do by way of response right now, if you're ready. What I'd like you to do is absolutely nothing, but just quietly sit down, figuratively representing that in this moment in your life, you're making a specific response to just sit down with Jesus. Not everyone has to do it. Please know that. But if it's something you'd like to do, if you want to remain standing, feel free to do so. things that you're doing we just want to seal them with our prayers 
invite you just to open your eyes, those of you uh, standing, just, just take a seat for a moment. And uh, in a moment, I'm going to hand back to Sally to lead us again in worship. But I find myself quite impacted because I'm just watching you. And I just had this. I'm not sure. But I just have this sense of perhaps the Lord saying, 